Well, I hope you've been reading ahead. I encouraged you last week, maybe the week before even, to uh, be reading the little three-chapter prophet Habakkuk. Now, if you haven't, you're going to want to find your way there. And you might be thinking, oh, no, where in the world is Habakkuk? It's in the Minor Prophets. So here's the thing. Go ahead and cheat. Go to the front of your Bibles if you need to and look at the Minor Prophets. You'll find that it's right there, sandwiched between Nahum and Zephaniah. Find your way there, Habakkuk. And Lord, we pray that as we begin this uh, short four-week study in this prophet Habakkuk, we pray, Lord Jesus, that you would help us to glean application for our lives today. We thank you, Lord, that your word is alive. It's not this dead, ancient book that has no impact upon our lives for today, but it's alive, it's living, and it speaks to us. You speak to us through your word. And you will, in every generation of the church, every generation where you have your people with open hearts that are really saying, Lord, speak to me. So we do pray that even now, Lord. Lord, speak to us, teach us. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Look at verse 1 of chapter 1. It says, the burden which the prophet Habakkuk saw... And this is what he says. He has a question for the Lord. He says, O Lord, how long shall I cry and you will not hear? Even cry out to you violence and you will not save. Why do you show me iniquity and cause me to see trouble? For plundering and violence are before me. There is strife and contention arises. Therefore the law is powerless and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous, therefore perverse judgment proceeds. Now, Habakkuk, I'll probably say Habakkuk, Habakkuk, I'll probably interchange those two. His name, I'll probably have to apologize to a lot of the biblical characters when I see them in heaven, but uh, his name means to embrace or to cling to, he who embraces or he who clings to. So Habakkuk, he has a question for God. And we gather, just reading that short, you know, first uh, four verses. Really, there's only three verses that deal with this question. We see that he was clinging to some things. He was embracing some things. He was holding on to some things like fear, discouragement, frustration, Have you ever been there? He was frustrated. He was frustrated not because there was a nation coming against them that was pouring out all of this injustice. He was was bewildered. He was frustrated because this was God's people doing this to themselves. God's people, Judah. They had turned their eyes away from the Lord, they began to seek after other gods, of course, led them into idolatry, and then all that goes with that, the sinful behavior, the perverse attitude and actions and all. And Habakkuk, he sees all of this, and he's troubled by it. And so he cries out, and in essence, he's saying, Lord, where are you? 
Where are you? Why won't you fix the problem? Everywhere I look, there's injustice. Everywhere I look, there's perversion. Everywhere I look, there's, there's things that are surely not pleasing to you. Where are you, Lord? Habakkuk was, of course, he's one of the minor prophets, um, but he was, we believe, to be one of the last prophets to go to Judah to speak to them about judgment that was coming, and we'll see how that judgment came in, in just a few moments here. But we need to understand where Habakkuk was coming from. Habakkuk was coming from a place where he saw the nation of Israel experience revival, experience spiritual reforms, changes. Uh, I don't know that he lived during the whole reign of Josiah, the king of Judah, but I'm sure that he saw the, at least the end part of it. Josiah, he became king when he was eight years old. When he was 16 years old, the writer of Chronicles, Second Chronicles, tells us that while he was still young, he began to seek the God of his father David. By the way, if you're a young person, don't waste time. There's a lot of people who waste time. I think of all the wasted time that I, uh, you know, <laughs> wasted in my youth. I was thinking the other day of how growing up for me, it was, it was concerts and it was, you know, kind of that whole scene. And growing up in Southern California, you always had something to do. I mean, you never had to try to figure out what should we do tonight. There was always something going on and... And when we weren't, you know, surfing or we we're spending our nights usually doing things that we would regret in the morning. If you're a young person, be like Josiah. Seek the Lord in your youth. Seek the Lord when you're young. See what the Lord might do with your life. And of course, the Lord used Josiah's life. When he was 20 years of age, they were... They were uh, going through the temple that was apparently in shambles. You know, there was some construction rubble all around, and they had actually lost the law, the book of the law. Could you imagine that? It's a temple of God. We don't know where the book of the law is. They find the book of the law. They bring the book of the law to Josiah the king. They read the book of the law to Josiah the king, and all of a sudden, something is triggered within his heart. And again, same verse that I just read to you from 2 Chronicles chapter 34, but further down, it's verse 3, it says, He began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of the high places and the wooden images and the carved images and the molded images. So you say, well, that's, that's interesting. Dan, you've actually told us this. We're going through Jeremiah on Wednesday nights. And if you come to our Jeremiah studies, you know that that's how I began our Jeremiah study talking about Josiah. This was the king, one of the kings that was reigning when Josiah was also speaking to these same people. But it's important for us to understand because Habakkuk had something to compare their present condition to. Habakkuk, he had watched uh, or maybe seen the tail end of it, you know, spiritual reform, spiritual revival taking place, the people putting away their idolatry and seeking the Lord once again. And then when Josiah's gone, when Josiah's out of the picture, the people just seem to go right back 
to the idolatry of the times before them, the times before Josiah. And so Habakkuk, he's, he's troubled by what he sees because he sees all of this corruption in Judah in, in the land of Israel, the promised land given to the people of God. And he sees all of this and he's troubled by that and he wants to know, Lord, when are you going to move? When are you going to act? When are you going to discipline? When are you going to judge these people? They need, they need a spanking. You know, these people are bad. And, uh, and so the Lord, of course, he answers his question. And we'll get to that in a moment. You know, in verse 1, it says, The burden which the prophet Habakkuk saw. So he saw these things. He saw these things. He heard these things. It's a burden. That's how the New King James uh, reads quite often. And the word burden, it literally means oracle. So it was an oracle, so it's something that he heard as well as saw. We see this in the first verse here of Habakkuk. But I think of, when I think of burden, I think of something heavy. And I think that no doubt this had to have been very heavy for Habakkuk. It was heavy for Habakkuk because he had to pronounce judgment, just as Jeremiah did and others. But he had to pronounce judgment on Judah because of their sinfulness. And I think it would have been heavy for Habakkuk because he himself had some questions that were troubling him. And when he received the answer from the Lord concerning his questions, it was heavy these were things he did not want to hear. He, he just didn't want to hear these things. Well, let me get to what he didn't want to hear. Verse 5, the Lord's response. Look among the nations and watch. Be utterly astounded, for I will work a work in your days which you would not believe, though it were told you. For indeed I am raising up the Chaldeans or the Babylonians, a bitter and hasty nation which marches to the breadth of the earth, to possess dwelling places that are not theirs. Now, Habakkuk knew something about them because he had watched, maybe not up close, but the Babylonians had already conquered the Assyrian Empire. He knew what they could do. He knew how powerful they were. And so he's listening to this description. This is the Lord speaking to Habakkuk. He says they're terrible and dreadful. Their judgment and their dignity proceeds from themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards and more fierce than evening wolves. Their chargers or horsemen charge ahead. Their cavalry comes from afar. They fly as the eagle that hastens to eat. Wow. Now, this is not something you'd want to hear. I don't think that this made Habakkuk happy you know his question was where are you lord and and the lord says i'm i'm here and i'm sending judgment and uh, when you see the judgment that i'm going to send you wouldn't believe it so i'm going to tell you ahead of time how it's going to come you know guys it would have been hard to swallow because judah was chosen by god Blessed by God, empowered by God. You think of the children of Israel. The prophets went to them, not to the other nations. 
the law of God was given to them, not to other nations. The promises were given to them, not the other nations. They were the blessed ones. And yet, they turned their back on the Lord. They started following after these false gods. And it it changed their behavior. It changed the way they lived. It changed the way they conducted themselves. It changed the way they treated each other and everything else. And it was just a complete and utter mess. The Lord says, in essence, to Habakkuk, don't worry about it. I'm raising up the Chaldeans that they may be my instrument of judgment. You know, guys, um, I think of the United States. You know, we're Americans, and we take pride in the fact that uh, this nation was founded on Judeo-Christian values, and and I'm glad that I'm an American. I'm I'm thankful for my freedom and 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 all. But you know, guys, before America was great, Britain was great. I'm speaking of uh, spiritually, Britain was great. The great empire, powerful, globally, spiritually, blessed by God. Many of the great preachers came out of England, out of what we would consider the UK, you know, we have different revivals that were taking place. The Lord was pouring out his spirit. Many people were responding to the gospel. You have uh, these preachers like Spurgeon. Everyone knows who Charles Spurgeon is. We might not, you might not know a lot about him, but surely you've read quotes from Spurgeon and, and others. And, and you just look at how God moved in Britain. And yet, in our generation, in our lifetime, Christians, we, we don't look at uh, the UK, we don't look at London, we don't look at, you know, Britain, we don't look at them as a, a godly nation. In fact, anyone who has their head twisted on straight would, would realize that, that they are a post-Christian nation. And a lot of the churches, you know, that were once uh, gathering places for, for many, many, many people who were interested in the Lord or those who had placed their faith in the Lord have been given over. And many of those churches or cathedrals or whatever they might be are, are now mosques. And uh, so Islam has really taken a prominent position there. You say, well, how could that happen? How could that happen? Well, Jesus said, speaking to the church of Ephesus, the darling church, after he commended them on all the things that they were doing right, the things that they had going for them, he said that he had one thing against them, and that is that they left their first love. And then he counseled them what to do, how important it was to to remember and to return, to repeat, you know. And uh, if they didn't, there was that warning that their lampstand would be removed. And of course, you know, we could look at where the church of Ephesus actually was at the time that John wrote, received and wrote those seven letters to the seven churches. 
Of course, they lost their lampstand long ago. Islam really became prominent there. But I think of other nations. I think of Britain. I think of how their lampstand has been removed. They've rejected the Lord, the God of their, you know, fathers, if you will. They are a post-Christian nation. You say, what does that have to do with us? Because we are a post-Christian nation. The United States of America. We might have had a great start. We might have had values that we cherish. We might have had freedoms that were exercised and we were thankful for them. But we have departed. Our nation has departed. See, there's a point in all of this, guys. We need to... Look at the scriptures because many times in our pride, we might say, not us, not us. The Lord would never raise up a nation that was worse than us to punish us. We're Americans. We need to be careful. We need to be very careful because I think, you know, before... Uh, the fall, many times there's that, that pride, that puffing up. I don't think that, that Judah would ever think that they would be handed over to the Babylonians. The Babylonians, Lord. Babylonians. Guys, it's interesting. When you study the scriptures, you know, we see that the children of, of Israel, they were so taken by the idolatry of the other nations because the standards of the other nations were so much lower. I mean, you know, our God, he talks about purity and he talks about being holy and he talks about being sanctified and he talks about uh, uh, faithfulness in marriage and in relationships and he talks about, you know, being kind to our brothers and and the stranger alike and, and caring for the orphan and everything. But these other gods... They say, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. We can indulge our flesh any way we choose. We like his standards, those lesser standards, those anything-go standards. It's amazing to us as we read the scriptures, as we study the scriptures, and we see how the children of Israel, I mean, it came, you know, from one man, from Abram, And you have this nation. And you just kind of follow this family. And and they go into, uh, (laughs) really it was just a family. And then they they go into Egypt. And then they leave Egypt, this great nation. And even once they leave Egypt and they go into the land that was promised to them from God, God gives them the allotment of the land. And he says, I want you to drive out the inhabitants of the land. And we know why he wanted them to drive out the inhabitants of the land, because if they did not, they would become like them. They would would just naturally just kind of sink to those lower standards of the people in the land. And that's exactly what they did. They didn't drive the people out. But the Lord, he still gave them possessions. You look at the allotment of the territories in Israel and how God blessed the nations and he gave them their allotment and gave them their place and he gave them their ministries and so on and so forth. You look at the priest, you know, and the fact that the Lord says, uh, you know, listen, you have no inheritance in the land. I'm your inheritance and you're my inheritance, you know. 
And they're really the ones that were blessed, unless you're really concerned about physical things, then you think you're being cheated. But the Lord raised up, and the Lord blessed, and the Lord says, be obedient. And the Lord says, here's my law. And the Lord even says, you're not going to be able to keep my law, so here's the sacrificial system, so that when you break my law, you'll be able to offer offerings to cover your sins. I mean, God is so faithful. And then generation after generation after generation, king after king after king, and you get to a point as a people that you are allowing your children to pass through the fires so that you might have a good harvest that year? And you say, what's up with that? How does something like that happen? You have male and female prostitutes that you go in and indulge in perversion with? How does that happen? How does that happen? And then, of course, it doesn't just affect, you know, that part of your life. It affects every part of your life. So now your dealings, you know, you're a crook. You're trying to get one over on people. Oh, you're you're having hard times? Well, tough on you, man. I can care less about you. You forget about the orphans and the widows. And, I mean, it's just a domino effect. One thing leads to the next, on and on and on. And I'll tell you would have been troubling to see that. He cries out, violence, and you will not save. Do you ever find yourself asking questions like this to God? What question? Well, questions like, Lord, where are you? I find myself asking the Lord sometimes, where are you? I think of the violence in our country, in our world, I mean, we've watched it change in a matter of years. I'm not talking about a decade. I'm talking about two, three years. We've gone from a nation that that used to, for the most part, uh, respect the law, the law of the land, and and honor the men and women in uniform, you know, the police, those who are serving. And, And now we're a nation where we want to defund the police. And at the same time that we want to defund the Police, now I'm not saying that we want to, but you know what I'm saying here. That um, at the same time that that's happening, we have these no-bell laws. So no one's really being held accountable. I, I think of, you know, we have families in the church who had their vehicle stolen. And the police say, well, you know, good luck. I, you know, if you get it back, it probably won't be anything you'll want to keep. And, and And we just see these types of things. We hear about these crimes. We hear about... People doing things, and, and things have really fallen. Violence. There's violence in the land. But I'll tell you, for me personally, the violence that I have the most trouble with is the violence toward our children. That that bothers me the most. Now, it, it, violence in general bothers me, but the violence towards children bothers me the most. It bothers me that we have some parents and some teachers and some healthcare workers 
who are committing violence on children. You know where I'm going with this, don't you? These new, uh, these surgeries and all. The sexualizing of children. Violence. It's violence. Parent sends their child to school and their child is exposed to sexual perversion. And many parents, they had no idea that this was happening except for COVID. I'm telling you, COVID was no accident. And I won't go off on it because I'll sound like a conspiracy theorist. But I, I think that what many of us thought have now been made clear that it's precisely what many of us thought. But I'll tell you, the Lord can use even the conniving of men, and he did during COVID, as parents now, for the first time, are being able to hear and see what their children are being taught because they're at home on their computers and parents are shocked. We didn't have the, the you know, the, the things that we see in a lot of uh, these uh, School council meetings and everything. We didn't see that before COVID. Maybe in certain places, but now parents are up in arms. We don't want this. We don't want this book. We didn't know that our children were reading that book. What are you doing teaching pornography to our children? It's violence against our children. I think of the violence of abortion. I never thought that I would live during a time in American history where abortion would be the issue that people would vote on. It would be why a person votes. Abortion. I have the right to kill my child. Who do you think you are? Violence. Now, if some of this is unsettling to you, it's because you've bought into the lie. You're not thinking biblical. You're not thinking biblical because Bible teaches us. It just teaches us. It doesn't have to say, don't kill people, and it does, or don't commit, you know, don't uh, abort your children. It doesn't have to say it that specifically. It teaches us of the sanctity of human life. So we have nations, we have, not nations, we have states, that are passing these laws so that people who, you know, they've just kind of come to the end of their life, you know, and, and uh, I just don't feel like I'm going to go on any further. Well, now we're going we're gonna to aid them to end their life. And some of these states do it at a very young age. Can I ask you a question? When you were a teenager, were you a little screwed up in your thinking? <laughs> I surely was. Man, if I had to make life decisions when I was a teenager, I probably would not be standing here today. And this is what's happening. It's wrong. And sometimes I think of what Jesus said, if anyone causes one of these little ones of mine who believe in me to stumble, it would be better if a millstone was tied around his neck and he was cast into the midst of the sea. And I find myself, sometimes when I look and I hear and I see the things that are happening in the world, violence, 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 violence against children, and I find myself sometimes saying, Lord, where are, where is their millstones? Where are they? 
and they're coming. Judgment is coming. And it's just that place when you're in between the judgment and the wondering, the wrestling, the embracing, the fears and all. Romans chapter 1, you guys know it. Verse 18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. That's what's happening in our world. The truth is being suppressed. How is it being suppressed? With unrighteousness. And if we don't know the difference, we'll be swept up in it. It goes on in chapter 1 and verse 22. Professing to be wise, they become fools and change the glory of the incorruptible God into, into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. And this is what Judah was doing, of course, idolatry. You know, you create something. Isaiah speaks about it. Jeremiah speaks about it. You know, a man goes, he cuts down a tree. He takes a part of the tree. He cooks a meal, bakes his bread with, with, with the wood from the tree. He takes another part of it, and he shapes it into a form, and he bows down, and he worships it. And it's like God saying, really, are you that stupid? I mean, honestly, this is insane. But this is what they were doing. And it says, therefore, God gave them up to uncleanness. What does the uncleanness look like? In the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves. What? Well, it goes on. Verse 26 through 28, same chapter. For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions. For even their women exchanged the natural use of what is against nature. Likewise, also men, leaving the natural use of a woman, burn in their lust for one another. Men with men committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error which was due. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do things which are not fitting. I, as I was reading that, I was imagining the critic. I've met many of them over my walk with Jesus. The critic would say, that's your interpretation. I didn't interpret anything. I just read the scripture. So you've interpreted what was being said, and obviously it's clear enough to where everyone could interpret what's being said. And yet, this is the age in which we live today. Now, I don't want you to misunderstand me. I don't want you to think, oh, so Dan, I get it. It's the church, it's the Christian pointing outside the church and saying, look at the problems in the world. Nope. The problem... The problem, the problem always lies with God's people. Because those who don't know the Lord are going to live like those who don't know the Lord. But it's when the child of God is no longer being the light that the Lord has called us to be. It's when we begin to compromise. It's when we begin to become like the world. It's when we begin to reason with, with our 
pee little brains and say, well, you know, I, I know somebody. Everybody knows somebody. Everybody knows somebody. Most people have family members that are struggling with, and maybe some not so much struggling, but have given themselves over to sexual immorality. Be it pornography, be it heterosexual fornication, or be it homosexuality. See, it's not a matter of we know these people, we like these people, we love these people. We should know people, we should like people, we should love people. And we should love them enough to share the gospel with them. And the problem is, is that in the church today, so sadly, is that we see this degrading, just as we saw in Israel. This is why, guys, listen. We could read the scriptures. It doesn't matter what we're reading. It doesn't matter where we're at. We could see life application. Israel was God's people. The church, supposedly, we're God's people, right? Supposedly, we're following him. Supposedly, we want to be obedient to him. Supposedly, we have his word, and we want to obey his word and do what his word tells us to do by the power of the Holy Spirit. But when the church, when professing Christians become just like the world... It's not helping the person in the world. It's not helping the person who's struggling with whatever sin it might be. Because in one sense, we're patting them on the back and we're saying, you don't have to repent of that. That's okay. That's how God made you. You know what we don't do? We would never say to a woman or to a man who goes from Man to man, man to man, man to man, woman to woman, woman to woman. We'd call them womanizers or manizers or whatever. I've never heard that term. I just made that one up. But um, we would never say to them, it's okay. That's how God made you. We don't do that. We would say, man, you got to stop living like that. You're using people. You're using people for your own sexual pleasure. You need to knock that off. That's what we'd say to people like that. But when it comes to homosexuality, all of a sudden, no rules apply. This is how you're made. This is how God created you. And the fact of the matter is the reason we are where we are today in the world, the increase of sexual perversion in our schools, in our country, and in the world is because God gave them up to uncleanness. It's because God gave them up to vile passions. It's because God gave them over to a debased mind. That's why. Now, just as Habakkuk probably did not want to hear that the Babylonians were coming. I don't want to hear that. That's not good news for us. You look at Romans chapter 1, and we might protest and say, I don't want to hear this. I don't want to believe this. I don't want to believe that all the depravity and all the craziness that we see in our world today is a byproduct of debased minds. But it is. Debased minds. Guys, man. You know, Are you saved? Have you truly placed your your faith in Christ? Are you seeking him? Because if you are, you know, we're never going to reach perfection here on this earth in these bodies. 
But we, we don't have to live as slaves to our lustful desires or slave to our sinful nature. We've, we've been given victory over that in Christ. Well, God goes on to describe the Babylonians in verse 9. He says, they all come for violence. You know, it's like, Lord, I was just crying out violence. Violence in Judah. Now you're going to bring violence on Judah? (laughs) He says, they come for violence. Their faces are like the east wind. They gather captives like sand. They scoff at kings and princes are scorned by them. They deride every stronghold, and they heap up earthen mounds and seize it. Then his mind or spirit changes, and he transgresses. He commits offenses, ascribing his power to his God. Guys, I mean, this is, this is even worse. God says, Habakkuk, I want you to let my people know that when the Babylonians come, they're coming for judgment. And when they come, I want, I want you to let them know that when they come, they're coming because I've allowed it. And when, they've, when they're done doing what they've done, they're not going to turn and glorify me, Yahweh, for giving us the victory. They're going to glorify their gods. I mean, you talk about insult to injury. It's like, oh, Lord. Lord, this is so hard. This is so terrible. This is so terrible that this is, this is coming, that this is going to happen. Well, more on this next week as we continue our study in Habakkuk. But, but, but I want to end with this. I, I want to end with asking the question, what is the remedy what is the cure for a debased mind? You know, all of us were there before coming to faith in Christ. All of us. I was sharing with the first service. I, I got a little emotional afterwards, not as I was saying it, but, but afterwards as I was thinking about it. You know, I was, I was telling the first service that, you know, I serve the Lord. I want to serve the Lord. I've, I've always had this desire to serve the Lord. Serving the Lord was a byproduct of being born again. It wasn't like anyone said, now you have to do this. I just wanted to serve the Lord. And I was saying to the first service that I don't serve the Lord, and I didn't serve the Lord when I first got saved because I thought that somehow I was going to earn a right standing or better standing with the Lord or that I was going to secure my salvation or anything like that. The motive was thanksgiving. Lord, you saved my soul. I was lost. I had a depraved mind. I was a fornicator. I was a user. I was, you know, just a dog before coming to faith in Christ. And the Lord saved my soul. Now, I didn't like, like I was like transformed that day. But as I began to grow, and as I'm growing, I'm still, I still have a long ways to go. But, but the Lord has changed my life. And, and I was sharing with the first service. I said, you know, I am so thankful because I think there are times that I just stop and I think, what if I wasn't saved? What if the Lord has not, had not poured out his grace upon me? 
and answering some of the what ifs. I said, I would have been divorced from my wife because I would have continued to drink. I would have been divorced from my wife because if I continued to drink, I would have cheated on my wife. If I would have cheated on my wife, my wife would have a different husband. If I cheated on my wife, I would not have the five beautiful children that I have or the 14 wonderful grandchildren that I, 15, excuse me, forgot about Jude, uh, 15 uh, grandchildren that I have. My life would not be what it is today if I would have continued on that path of deprived mind. But what is the remedy of a, depra- of a debased mind? And the answer is a renewed mind. You guys come on up. I'm going a little long. Romans chapter 12. You guys know it. If you don't, turn to it, please. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Most of you know it. The Apostle Paul, he says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. I like this. A living sacrifice. You know, they were, they were offering up their children's bodies. <laughs> so it's just, I can't even imagine that. Um, they were offering up human sacrifices, but the Lord says, no. The believer offers his body, her body, as a living sacrifice. Holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Do you get that? Reasonable service. He saved you from hell. How should you respond? This is my reasonable service. I want to serve him. I want to walk with him. I want to tell people about him. It's my reasonable service. And do not be conformed. And here it is. Do not be conformed. This was the problem of of Israel. This was the problem. They were conformed. They were conformed to the thinking of the nations around them. They were conformed to the idolatry around them. We must not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Listen, if you're here, his, (laughs) if, if you're here, if you're his, seek him. You need to wash your mind daily. Guys, it's amazing how quickly we could begin to slide. It really is. It's amazing how quickly that the lust, the desires, you know, whatever it is, it doesn't always have to be a sexual thing, but it's just desires for other things that really aren't pleasing to the Lord. How they could rise up and they could begin to dominate, they begin to rule. Our life, once again, even as Christians. So we need to go back to the word of God. Lord, help me. Help me to think differently. Help me to think biblically. And then we need to be dependent. Last week, you know, we invited people to come up for just prayer for the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And there were many, many people that came up, and it was exciting to see that. But, you know, guys... That's not something that we do once in a while. That's something we do every day. Lord, would you fill me afresh with your spirit? Would you stand with me, please? Father, if there are any here or listening that have not received you as their Lord and Savior, Lord, would you please persuade them? We believe, as your word says, that your spirit is with them. And it will only be true when they place their faith in you that then your spirit will be in 
them. So we pray for the salvation of those who need to be saved. We pray for us, Lord, who have placed our faith in you. And we pray, Lord Jesus, if we're just, if we're conforming, if we're, if we're, if we're falling back, if we find that our minds seem to be in that debased category, that we'd renew our minds with your word daily, applying your word to our lives daily. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>